Hey, glory, folks. That was wonderful singing today. You're alive out there, so praise the Lord. Uh, take your Bibles. Open up to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. All right, we're going to start a new series. We'll go as long as uh, we can keep going in this. Uh, might be 13 weeks, 17 weeks. Who knows? I've, I've got lots of messages planned on this. So uh, Philippians, the series title is Going Further in the Joy of Faith. So if you're in Philippians chapter 1, I want to draw your attention to verse 25. So if you need to know where Philippians is, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And uh, so now I always say General Electric Power Corporation. That's how you can remember the order of those books. But Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 25 says, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance and joy of faith. Uh, we're going to talk about this word furtherance today, but uh, Paul's theme and his concern for the believers in Philippi is that of joy. Would you do me all a favor today? Would you just smile at me right now? Paul is teaching these believers about joy in the Lord. Now, if you remember anything about the story of the founding of this church, you're going to remember that Paul and Silas were in jail. If you know anything about the writing of this letter, Paul is in prison. And I am afraid to tell you that ancient jails and prisons were not the cushy experience that we have today. There was no weight room, there was no television, all right? Uh, there was no courtyard time, all right? So uh, this was life and death situations that Paul found himself in. But in the midst of all of that, Paul has joy. He had joy as he founded this church. He, he found himself in the city jail, and his back had been opened up by the whip. And then he was put in that contorted position of having your hands and your feet in stocks and stretching out the back. But yet Paul had joy. Paul was in, at this point, in... Roman prison, what we might call the federal penitentiary, right? Uh, but yet he has joy. And so he's talking to them. He says, I want you to go further in the joy of faith. Now, the word of is that of possessing this. So going further in the joy of believing. Oh, I hope that you know that believing in Jesus Christ should bring joy into your life. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we'll talk about today is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, and the other three. But joy is one of the things that we have as Christians that the world can never take away from us. It does not depend on daily circumstances. Happiness comes and goes. But joy 
will remain. So as we go through this series, we're going to talk about going further in the joy of faith, or going longer and, and, and going forward into new territory in this area of having joy in believing. So let's go over to chapter 4 and look at verse 4, and this is going to be our proposition for the whole series, all right? So one, that one the slide I just showed you was our theme, all right? But here's what we take away from the book. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. So when we walk away from each one of these messages, I trust that we walk away encouraged. I trust that we walk away rejoicing and that our joy is not dependent upon our circumstances that took place uh, the week before we got here or even things that we have to face in the coming week that we will have joy in our relationship with Jesus. Matter of fact, joy predominates this book, that rejoicing or joy is mentioned 19 times in only four chapters. So that's almost four or five times every chapter that this concept of joy comes to the attention of the believers. And so he's focusing their attention that we should rejoice in the Lord. And when we realize that the Lord is the focus of our rejoicing, then we will discover how to have joy. All right, so today, this is the first message in the series. We want to look at this. So today's message is called Paul's Concern. Paul was concerned for these believers that they would go further in the joy of faith. So let's look here um, at several things. So I'm just going to talk for a few minutes. Uh, about the book of Philippians, about Paul and, and these believers, and just share a few thoughts with you. Um, but if you notice this, it says Paul and Timothy are the ones who are writing this. Um, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Then he says, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a, a short introduction, and we'll talk about this in, in just a moment. But um, beginning in verse 3 is a prolonged prayer. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So there's a prayer of thanksgiving. Listen, when you stop and think about the people that you have won to the Lord that you have discipled, you can't have but joy. Um, I've just even been thinking of some of the people that I've won to the Lord here in this ministry, and it, it bring, brings great joy to my heart. It's an exciting thing. And so Paul is, is remembering the very first time he went to that city. He's probably remembering the story of of Lydia and how she came to know Jesus. Remembering the story of how the jailer in his household came to know Jesus as their Savior. How pagans worshiping false gods came to know the true and the living God, not the formation of wood and stone from a man's hand. I mean, why would that be God when you made it? 
So he's remembering with great joy. And so they consider themselves bondservants of Jesus. Um, you know what a bondservant is? A bondservant is not just a servant. A bondservant is someone who willingly has taken upon themselves that role of being a servant. In the ancient customs, a bondservant would indicate his desire to stay on after he had been released from his servitude. And the custom, as I understand it, was that they would walk up to the door of the house and the master of the house would ask them, are you willingly doing this? Are you going to enter into this of your own free accord? And then they would take the earlobe and nail through it. And that would be the mark of a bondservant. Well, the Apostle Paul bore in his body many of the marks of being a willing bondservant of Jesus Christ. He's probably sitting there thinking of the stripes that were on his back from the time that he spent in the city of Philippi. And those were stripes not of pain, but of joy. Um, and whose bondservants are they? Well, they're bondservants of Jesus Christ. They're serving him. I trust that you would consider yourself a bondservant of Jesus, that you willingly serve Jesus. Now, there are a lot of things that we can serve today. We can serve a career. We can serve a company. We can serve a dream. But all of those are going to be fleeting. We can be bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the next one. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. How many of you think a saint is somebody that has answered a prayer, or there's been a vision of them, that they've done some miracle in their name? How many of you think that's the definition of a saint? All right. Uh, if that was the case, then the church would be in trouble because only 450 people have ever been canonized as saints. All right. So here's what Paul is saying to the believers in this church. You all are saints. Jesus Christ washed you with his blood, cleansed you of all your sin. He's made you holy, perfectly holy, given you a legal position of absolute righteousness. He has sanctified you, has set you apart, and you are a saint in Christ Jesus. Now, you're not a saint in your own flesh, but you are a saint in Christ Jesus. For you died and your life is hidden with God in Christ. And so, can you imagine a, a, a little jar that you would put preserves in? Well, this, that's the jar of salvation. Just drop yourself in there. All right, you're inside the jar now. You remember our text in Ephesians 1 today? that we are preserved until the day of redemption. So, Holy Spirit is that seal that preserves us. And so we are in Christ Jesus. We're in his salvation, and that's what makes us a saint. And then the saints who are in Philippi. So I can say today, hey, good morning, saints in Hollister. Amen? God has done a wonderful work in your life. Now, this next phrase is the bishops and the deacons. 
And so these are the, the two uh, positions that are in the New Testament that God recognizes as the authority in the local church. So bishops is, if you read Acts chapter 20, uh, where Paul is saying goodbye to the church at Ephesus, he calls in the elders, that's another name, the pastors. So bishop, elder, pastor, it's all the same office. It's three different words signifying different functions of that office and the administrative oversight of the ministry, the, the feeding and, and, and the uh, nurturing of believers, um, the care of the church. So that's the idea of bishop, and then deacons, the servants. And, uh, you know, a church should be filled with servants. And then, out of all of those servants, we find those that meet the qualifications for deacon in the book of Acts, filled with the Spirit of God, of good report, then the requirements in Timothy. So we should all be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, grace, God's undeserved favor to you. Oh, I'm so glad that God reached down to me in Whitewater, Wisconsin on June 14, 1988 and saved my sinful soul and extended his grace towards me. You see, I was there in Wisconsin running from God, running from home, but he chased me down and extended his grace to me. When was the day that God extended his grace to you? And so we can continue not only to receive the grace of salvation on that day of our new birth, but we continue to receive God's grace. When Christ ascended on high, he then sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church with gifts for service. Not only that, we receive grace through the word of God. Paul commended the believers to the word of his grace. To build up their lives. You know what? When you've received God's undeserved favor, you know what that results in? It's peace. The absence of hostility between God and yourself. There's no barrier that would keep you out of heaven. Because you've been sanctified. You're a saint. Because of the grace of God. And that results in peace. But not only that, the the peace of God that surpasses understanding, that keeps and guards our hearts and our minds. And so that blessed result of peace, and it comes from God our Father. Ooh, I like that possessive pronoun, our Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Hey, listen, there should just be joy right there that you can call God your Father because of Jesus Christ. And bring him glory and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we jump into this book, we'll see that it was most likely written in the year 62 A.D. Uh, maybe about uh, 10 or 12 years after the founding of this church. So a decade goes by and Paul then remembers 
the founding of that church, that experience of going back and writing to them and encouraging them to continue in the faith. So if you want to read that story, you can go to the book of Acts chapter 16 and uh, you find that story of the founding of this church in verses 12 through 40. And so uh, what happened, why they were there, uh, was they were preaching and they were turning that community upside down. It was radically changing that community. And there was a, a businessman in that community who made his fortune uh, through uh, what you might call an oracle. It was a, a girl that was possessed with a, a demon. And he was able to manipulate that young girl to give, quote, fortunes and predictions of the future. And this young girl was following Paul and just calling out. That demon was calling out. And finally, Paul just got annoyed by that demon and, and through the power of God, cast out the demon. Well, then the business owner lost his ability to make a fortune and got everything all upset. Then he stirred up people against Paul and Silas, and they ended up in jail. But yet, they had joy. Uh, why they were there, there was an earthquake. All the doors were immediately opened. Uh, the jailer... Uh, thought that they had escaped and he was going to kill himself. And Paul and Silas said, don't, no, 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 we're all here. Don't do yourself any harm. And because of the power of God, he walks in to Paul and Silas and he says, what do I do to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You remember this? Okay. So they said, give $1,000 in the offering this week. Is that what they said? They said, be baptized this week. Is that what they said? No. What did they say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household shall be saved. Folks, that's just a simple message. What do you have to do to be saved? Put your trust in the person of Jesus. You see, you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. It's impossible. No religious effort is going to make you perfect in God's standing. So God had to send his son, Jesus. And Jesus did live a perfect life. He was without sin. And he was qualified then to be your substitute. Because God the Father made Christ to become sin for you. But here's the wonderful news. Not only did Jesus identify as a sinner for you, but when you put your trust in him, when you depend upon him and taking your place, he allows you to identify as him. You have his righteousness. You become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful thing. And so that's what that man said. What do I have to do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that man took them home that night. They preached the gospel in that house. And then you had Lydia's house. You had the jailer's house. You had two links of the chain get together. And folks, a New Testament church started growing. And here we are thousands of years later with the history of God's saving power that brings him glory. And so, yes, they were uh, able to praise God and have joy even 
why they were in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, let me just put it this way. We might just end up in prison in this country for preaching the gospel. I think the time is coming where it might be called a hate crime. So would you be ready to have that kind of joy if you were telling others about Jesus? He ended up in all kinds of legal trouble. We might be heading that way. Now, this city, Philippi, took its name uh, from Alexander the Great's father, King Philip, um, which was a Greek city. And then after the Greek empire fell, the Romans came through and they took possession of this city. But this city was very unique. It wasn't just a conquered city. It became a colony of Rome. In other words, it had all of the rights and the privileges of being a Roman territory, a Roman city. So they had a, a lot of wealth and a lot of freedom. They had pride in, in their privileges as Roman citizens. Um, and Paul appealed to this in chapter 3, verse 20. So let's just go over there for just a moment. Chapter 3, verse, verse 20. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from whom, which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, man, I tell you what. I think today was one of the best days I've ever heard you sing as a congregation. And I'm serious about that. That, that theme of the Lord coming from heaven... Let that dominate you. Let that take hold of you today. Jesus Christ is in heaven. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go in the clouds. He's coming back, folks. And so our citizenship is not here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, I love America. I think we have some of the best rights and privileges and freedoms in all of the world. But that pales in comparison to being a son or a daughter of the king. Now, all the wonderful privileges that we can have in Christ Jesus. Another thing about this particular city or province of Macedonia um, is that women were treated with respect in this colony. And you see that God used a woman to start this church. Lydia was the first convert. And after she was saved, she approached Paul and said, if you judge me faithful, come stay in my home. Use my home as a base of operation. And so they did. Hey, don't miss out on the joy of your house being a base of gospel activity. One of the joys that we have every other week in, in having people into our home. And sometimes we just, after everybody's gone, we just sit and reflect what God did tonight. You're missing out on some joy if you don't have that. You need these relationships, folks. 
Uh, Healthy relationships build a healthy church. You, You can't be so preoccupied with your life and your schedule that it's just you come on Sunday and you look at the back of somebody's head and you smile at them for 30 seconds and, and you say, yeah, I'm doing great. So much more joy that's available in the Christian life as we invest our lives in one another. It's so much joy. Watching a person transform right in front of you Week after week, line upon line, precept upon precept, what joy comes into your life. Can you imagine the joy that Paul and Silas had in watching that jailer in his house grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus? To watch Lydia's household transform, to watch these people that were consumed with self or in some cases, idolatry, setting aside, cleaning the shelf, no idols in those houses anymore, just Christ alone. What joy that would bring them. And so there is a continuous note of joy in Christ sounded throughout the letter. And so let's look at chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Only let your conduct be as it becometh uh, the gospel of Christ, uh, whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand uh, fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and nothing be terrified by your adversaries, which is uh, to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God, for unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same uh, conflict which ye have in me, and now here that is to be in me. So Paul is saying, look, your joy is not dependent upon the circumstances that I'm going through or that you're going through. And by the way, did you know that you can joy in suffering for Jesus? And so Paul is putting that in there. So just get that in your mind. The suffering can be part of your joy. So there are a lot of themes uh, in this book. Um, so rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We're going to start a series on Sunday night, just on Philippians 4.8, seven messages. Think on these things. The world has a lot of stuff for you to think about today. The basketball playoffs, the beginning of baseball season, um, some vacation, some hobby, what's even for lunch, right? So thank you for being in the house of the Lord today to put your mind under the cleansing of the Word of God. I've heard this said before, and I'll I'll say it again. All education is brainwashing. But it depends on what you're washing with, either the water of the Word of God or the filth of the world. But the mind 
is a, a topic that's found throughout the book of Philippians, the single mind, the submissive mind, the spiritual mind, the secure mind. And so Paul had a lot of different themes as we go through this, a lot of different reasons for writing this. Uh, one of his co-workers uh, was Epaphroditus. Uh, this was a, a man from the city of Philippi that uh, left the city with a gift and brought it to Paul who was in prison. He had been staying a long time and either on the way to Rome or why he's in Rome, going in and out of the prison every day, Epaphroditus contracts some kind of sickness that almost kills him. And Paul says, now you heard news that he was really sick, and he was to the point of death, but with joy I can send him back to you. Um, he wanted to thank the Philippian church for their concern for him and their generous gifts in chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches, but in glory through Christ Jesus. And so this church in Philippi, let me just put it this way. It may have been the original church that started giving for missions on a regular basis. They're the ones that contributed their financial resources to take care of Paul as a missionary. So he was writing to say thank you. He wanted to let them know about his circumstances. Uh, let's go over to chapter 1 and, and look at verse 12. But I... Uh, would that ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me um, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So after he left Philippi, adversity after adversity, and then finally prison, and they heard about that. And Paul was saying, you know, God is so powerful, being put in jail just gives me a prison ministry, Right? So it didn't stop the advancement of the gospel. So Paul is saying it works out for the furtherance of the gospel. Let me explain this word furtherance to you. It is a military term, which means the forward contingent of the army goes forward. We, today we, we call them, I think in the, in the Navy it's what, CBs, they're the, the, the group that goes in and... and uh, prepares runways and barracks and, and does all the advanced work before the army shows up. Well, that's the idea behind this word in, in here in Philippians, is that it was the advanced contingent of the Roman army that would go into the frontier where Rome has not been before, and it would chop its way forward, literally chopping down a forest. And then the army would follow behind them. Folks, did you know that you can have joy as you just chop forward? There's nothing easy in the Christian life. But you can chop forward. And you can chop forward in joy. The joy of your faith in believing. He wanted to also warn them about the false teachings of legalism, and then that of uh, licentious living and perfectionism. So we'll, we'll get into that as we go. But Paul was teaching them in everything that his joy is grounded in Christ. And so 
that's a rather lengthy introduction and there's so much more that could be put in that. So today, why don't we just give you a first couple of points here. So let's go back to chapter one and look at verses three through five. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with what? Joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul had a joyful concern for the church. He had a love that was evidenced uh, for them through his thanksgiving, but also in his prayer life. He was praying for them. Let me just encourage you with this application. Maybe you're not interested in a church directory. Can I challenge you to think maybe differently about that? Pick it up and use it as a prayer list. Look at each one of the families and begin to pray for them. We all need prayer. But Paul was thinking of all those believers and he was thankful for them. So he desired for them to abound in that love that is richer and deeper in, in spiritual understanding. And so he had this joyful concern for them. Um, first of all, what is he joyful about? Let's look here at this in verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel. Fellowship. You know, church is not a Lone Ranger activity. Church always is done in context with other people. That's what made our time of separation during the pandemic so hard. Because we didn't have that ability for those few weeks. But church is always about being together. So if your Christian experience is not about being connected with other believers. You're missing out on the fellowship that God has designed for you to live in. Your life can't be about your schedule. Life has to be about other people. And that means that you actually are giving away your life. You're giving your breath, you're aging as you fellowship with people. You'll never get that time back, ever. But the benefits are so much better. Because Christianity is practiced in context of a church body, the fellowship. Now, specifically, they're fellowshipping in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ being proclaimed throughout the world. The good news that Jesus loved sinners, he died for them, uh, he was buried, he rose again, and then he invites sinners to believe on him. Hey, if you're not saved today, please believe on Jesus. He loves you. He gave his son for you. Jesus shed his blood for you. 
this is good news, that you're a sinner, you can't save yourself, but God made a way. You can be saved today. I don't know who's listening. I don't know your hearts. But the Holy Spirit of God does. Maybe some of you have grown up Christian. That was me. I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, won the Students of the Year, Mr. BCA, all right, the best Christian in a Christian academy. He wasn't even saved until he became a sophomore in college, and then that's when God saved me. And that's when I believed on Jesus. So, yeah, humble yourself and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. But that fellowship in the gospel, if you look on the wall there by the water fountain as you go out today, there's pictures of men and women that you can fellowship with in the gospel. I have WhatsApp on my phone, and I will message Josiah Wambua. Hey, how's it going? How can I pray for you? And he'll respond back. Hey, I'm having some health problems, or we've got this new church starting. Please pray for this. How are the believers there at Calvary? What can I pray for? And I'll say, well, pray for this. There's, there's a fellowship there that's taking place. In the gospel. So you can financially support missionaries and have a fellowship in that. You can emotionally have fellowship with the missionaries by encouraging them. Sending them a message on WhatsApp or through Facebook or uh, a text or whatever means of communication they'll allow you to communicate with them just to say, hey, I prayed for you this week. Have that fellowship in the gospel and you will encourage them as you connect with them. They need that. You know, they've left their country. They've left their culture. They're in a foreign land where things seem strange to them. They just need somebody from home to touch bases with them and say, hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. You can do that with one another. You can have a fellowship in the gospel. I remember a few years ago, uh, Matt Sedlicek, uh, who now lives in Montana, uh, took us up on the idea of using his home as a base of gospel operation and invited his neighbors and Joanne was right next door, the next property over. Joanne was asking questions and somewhat skeptical, and Matt just had one of these evangelistic opportunities in his home, and he partnered with many of you as you went into his home, and you also brought your unsaved friends into his home. We had the evangelists come in, share the word of God, and I don't think Joanne got saved that night, but through that relationship, then there became an opportunity for the gospel to be given to Joanne, and God did eventually save her. And they moved to Arizona. Her aggressive cancer came back, and today she's in glory. But praise the Lord, Matt was a partner in the gospel. 
Another friend by the name of Gary could not come that night to the event that was in Matt's house. So he brought them over to Randy and Fatima's house. And Mike Schrock was there that night preaching the gospel. And Gary came up and said, Pastor, I just want you to know I came to God tonight on his terms and not my own. Gary died of cancer just a few weeks later. He was concerned because he was constantly having pneumonia and ending up in the hospital. Come to find out he was in late stages of leukemia. And so he's like, look, yeah, I would like God to heal me, but that's not why I'm asking Christ as my Savior. I just need God as my Savior. So praise the Lord for people who will partner in the fellowship of the gospel. Praise the Lord for those that have said, Pastor, I've got a friend. Can we do the exchange Bible study together? And I've done many of those. And I just rejoice in that fellowship of the gospel. And so Paul is thankful and has great joy in the fellowship of the gospel. Uh, not only the fellowship, but the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, so we saw that in, in verse 15, but also the faith of the gospel in verses 27 through 30. And then secondly, he was uh, concerned and he had a prayer full of joy because God would continue to work in their lives. Let's go down to verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, there's not much context for that statement that would change the way that we understand this verse. That God saved you, and he'll keep working in your life until he comes back, where you go to see him. So God has started something in you, and he's going to keep on working that plan in your life. And so what was started in them? Well, it was the advancement of the gospel. Um, and so it was started by the Lord. And so, you know, God did that work for us in sending Jesus. Uh, God does that work in us. Uh, through the Holy Spirit of God in, in sanctifying us. So God is going to keep on working to make you more like him. But then God also works through us. Okay. Verse 7, even as it is right for me to think this of you all because you uh, are in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. That word partakers means to be a full participant. Paul was saved by the grace of God. He was a murderer of Christians, but yet God saved him in his grace. And Paul took that same grace that he received and he gave it to the Philippians. And so they're full participants. They're fully partaking in God's grace. And so God is working through them and they sent their love to Paul, and God is, is working through these Philippian believers. So a prayer full of joy. And then as we come down to verse 11, the end of the prayer, uh, he's continuing his prayer. Verse 10, that ye may approve the things that are excellent, 
that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Hey, listen, Christian, Jesus is coming again. There's a day you'll meet him as a believer and you'll have to give an account for your life. Work, for the day is coming when no one can work anymore, when your labor is over. You only have a short window of opportunity to be busy for Jesus. America needs Christians that are busy for Jesus. We cannot be lazy. It is not easy to build a local church. So there's just this short time, and, and we have to then be serious about our faith to, to approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere. That means without a veneer of wax. There's no hypocrisy. And that you're without offense. God knows when people don't. Ultimately, sin is an offense to a holy God. And so Paul is praying, I want you to live the kind of Christian life that's without offense because you're going to meet Christ at that day. And so here's what I want you to do right now, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. You know, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. Paul wanted them to be filled with the fruits of righteousness that transformed life, being a joyful person, which are by Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, unto the glory and the praise of God. So his concern is for them to abound uh, in their joy and in their love and in that righteousness, but really to be to the glory and praise of God. Church isn't about church. You know what I mean by that? We're not here to try to attract a crowd. It's not about building an organization. We trust God to do that. Church is about the glory of God. And that can happen whether we're two or 200 or 2,000. So let's, as a group of people, make this about him to the praise of his glory. Not about our little ministry in the church. Not about anything that we do, but to, to the praise and the glory of God. And so this is Paul's joyful concern for these believers. He was joyful because he had a, a, a good memory of their fellowship in the gospel. Uh, he had a, a, a joy as he thought about their being participants with him in the advancement, the furtherance of the gospel. He was filled with joy as he expressed his concern that they would experience the fruits of righteousness, that fruit of joy. The day of Christ will be that time of judgment for believers when the Lord appears. And so I'm just so thankful the way the Holy Spirit has worked today with the music. Because that day is coming. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. What if it were today?